Hi, good morning and welcome everyone. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm JJ Walsh here in Hiroshima. And today I have the pleasure of talking with Miyuki Seguchi of Japan Experts. Thank you so much for joining Miyuki. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really pleasure to be on your show. It's great to have you. Another podcaster, another uh, guide, travel guide, another uh, trainer, and another person who, like me, is asking a lot of international long-term residents to share their passion for their insights in what they do. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I love how you've tapped into a lot of international experts who are so passionate about swords, for example, Paul Martin, or ceramics and pottery, Robert Yellen, right? Many of these people I've connected with as well. That's great to see. Thank you, thank you. So just to give people a little bit of background about you, you uh, are from Japan, from Gifu originally, is that right? Yes, it is, yes. And you're back in Gifu right now? Yes, I am. Yes, I'm based in Gifu. Um, especially, like specifically, I'm based in the southwestern part of Gifu. So, yes. So many people, yeah, think of Gifu like for the rural areas or the farmhouses or the Takayama. Um, these places are located in the northern part of Gifu. But uh, where I'm based is a uh, southwestern part of Gifu. So uh, from like where my house is located, like to Nagoya, for example, it's uh, like about a half an hour by train. And it's close to Mie, it's close to Shiga, it's close to Aichi. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm based in Gifu, but it's close to like neighboring um, prefectures as well. Yeah, really good uh, situation, like uh, area to be situated in. Uh, to do travel all over Japan. Uh, now, when you were living abroad, you were educated in the UK. You went when you were 18 up yes. to Scotland, St. Andrews, yeah. and then you were in Oxford and then London as well. Is that right? Yes, correct. Yes. So I, when I listen to your podcast, I always I admire your British accent as well. It sounds really <laughs> nice. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I don't know if I have a British accent. I have a Japanese kind of like mix of like international accent. I don't know because I used to. I hear it. I hear it in there. And then uh, after that, you also traveled around uh, a lot in Europe. You traveled around in Asia. And I think uh, for you as a travel guide and someone who's podcasting and talking about travel and culture and destinations in Japan, because of your travel experience, do you feel like it's easier for you to connect to the international audience? Um, definitely, definitely. Because I've visited um, the uh, more than a dozen countries in the world, and most of them are involved with lots of interactions with locals. And that experiences definitely help uh, me to connect with the uh, international travelers um, who I talk to uh, on a regular basis um, in my life. Yeah, wonderful. Uh, and it looks like you just started your podcasting this year. What prompted you to start podcasting <laughs> and uh, doing more uh, courses and other information? This yes, year. thank you. Thank you for asking that. So basically, uh, my podcast, the Japan Expats podcast, was launched actually in the summer of 2020. 
um, uh, this year, I had a big of the makeover to be solely focused on the Japan travel planning. So as you mentioned um, at the beginning, I was interviewing a Japan-based um, experts um, for like about the nearly the two years. And then like this year, I wanted to um, be uh, like focused on the planning a trip to Japan, like helping international travelers plan to prepare for their trip to Japan. Um, the one of the reasons I decided to switch um, my podcast into more travel-based podcast was that the um, because I felt there are so many resources about Japan, especially destinations, but I found like what 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 I found was that there are not so many not not many resources that would help um, people to find the right choices based on their needs and interest, and without knowing the overall picture of Japanese history or cultural context and like the geography and all sorts of these things, it's difficult to. Um, discern the differences, like find the regional characteristics or the find the right choices for them. And I wanted to create the resources like that. And that's what I focused on doing to serve such needs uh, through my podcast and through my program at the moment. Yeah. And then I, I was interested to see uh, you did like a deep dive uh, audio version as well. So you've got the audio package talking about Shinto, Buddhism, poetry, uh, pottery, sorry, pottery, lacquerware, and martial arts. And in each of these episodes, you're also uh, talking with local international experts who have really dedicated most of their lives to researching and connecting with local experts and then sharing that to an international audience, right? Yes, definitely, definitely. Yes, I was so fortunate to talk to them and to be able to share their stories and the passion with the international audience. So that was a great opportunity for me as well. Yeah, fantastic. And you also offer a complete Japan travel guide. Can you tell us about this a little bit? Yes. So, so the yes. Thank you so much for introducing this. So this is uh, what I've recently uh, created, actually. And uh, when I talk to the the people, like international travelers who are hoping to visit Japan, like when they like usually some of the questions they ask at the beginning is uh, where is a good place to visit. I think that's the the biggest questions they tend to ask and I would be like that if I travel to other countries so I totally don't have any problem with that but what I thought uh, when I think about traveling it's not only about the visiting places I think I feel like it's more the gaining the travel experiences like gaining the new experiences or like learning about the new things that are like really unique to the local culture or the to learn about the local people. And I wanted to um, show some sort of the roadmap um, to create the experiences rather than just a simply visiting places. So that was the motivation behind um, this, this like free guide, um, which is available to everyone. <laughs> 
Yeah, so you can sign up uh, through Miyuki's website if you're interested in, in getting that free guide. Now, Miyuki, you told me one of the experiences you had recently uh, visiting a very traditional, very famous old place, uh, talking with a local guide was a really wonderful, unique experience. Can you tell us about that? Sure, definitely. So I recently visited the Shirakawa Go farmhouse villages uh, in the Gifu prefecture in the northern part of Gifu. And it is uh, one of the, the UNESCO World Cultural Heritage Sites. So um, it's quite, uh, it's very popular um, destination um, among the local tourists, like local travelers, as well as uh, international travelers. And I all, like what I always love um, doing when I travel is to connect with a local guide and I had an opportunity to speak to the local guide and actually she showed me around. And I realized actually like this, this place, exact place, <laughs> this place is um, the really popular like photo taking spot. And lots of people probably have that, um, have that image uh, from the posters or the other pictures uh, shown on the internet. But actually, uh, my guide uh, took me to the very far end of the rice field. And, but a couple of people, a couple of group of people uh, went into the walkway. And you, you know, like the, there's a walkway in the rice field. Um, they are the, not the paved street or anything. They are the covered by the grasses. And these places are actually part of the private land of the house owners uh, who lives um, close by. And my guide um, told me that the, actually she was stopped. Um, by one of the local people who was living in the house nearby. And, and she like specifically asked not to enter this rice field. And she, my guide was actually like, she would, she has been living in the Shirakawa Go village and with only the, only just over the 130 households in the Shirakawa Go village. And it's in the such a small community. And like the, because the local person uh, was spotted, like she's a local guide, like she was able to talk to her. That's why like they had a bit of communication there. But otherwise, like this group of people who went in the walkway, like they didn't really notice these challenges and they didn't really probably if they were traveling with a local guide they would not do that and but i like with like before like she specifically told me about these challenges like i didn't really think about this like seriously but these things could happen and the Shirakawa Go village is not really the amusement park or anything. It's a real village where the local people are actually living and having a life in a sustainable way, which is a great place to get to know the local culture. But people like tend to pay more attention to these like landscapes or taking pictures. And I like regretfully like saw some tourists going into the walkways a lot of times like while I was staying in the Shirakawa Go village. And I just feel that if you're traveling with a local guide, 
because like they would be the the bridge between you and the local community and you'd be, have more chance to realize these challenges in the local community and to get to hear their stories and i just feel that the i just like realized the real value of um traveling with a local guide and at the same time i felt really like real strong responsibility as a local guide to share these messages and to be like to yeah to be a real bridge between the travelers and the community yeah, I think um, recently, you know, people are saying, well, maybe we don't need guides because we have so much information online, but actually it's too much information online and not a lot, not all of the information is good information. <laughs> Some information is misleading or wrong, right? And I think now traveling in 2023, as we're going into borders open, uh, in Japan more, having a local guide is so valuable. There's so many things that visitors will never realize. Like like you said, very simple thing about not walking in the field. Um, and this is why quite often uh, very popular places like that, they have so much signage, right? Mm. And then the signage blocks the view. And then mm. who is actually reading the signage is not the people who are breaking the rules anyway, usually, right? Mm. Um, and then you have this real problem with the local people being unhappy because the vis visitors are breaking the rules, but the visitors don't even know the rules, right? Mm. So this is a problem all over Japan especially for the most popular places like Kyoto, like this village they went to where people actually live there, right? Mm. So that's that's what I'm really passionate about, right? Like how do we find play, uh, ways to balance the needs of local people to have a high quality life mm. and still have so much appeal for the international visitor who wants to come wants mm. to help support them by spending money locally right and mm. to appreciate the culture um but it's it's always a, a real kind of conversation that you have to have with mm. the locals as well as with the guides understanding of what the international visitor is interested in right mm. so I, I think in that way in those kinds of places your role and the role of guides is so important Mm. And I really encourage people to hire local guides, at least mm. for your first day, first hour, mm. first half day, get an mm. orientation and then walk around, enjoy it by yourself. Right. Mm. And I, I think that's one of the best ways. Right? Yes. Yes. I, I can't agree with you more. <laughs> uh, looks like we have a, a comment from Enrique on Facebook. Thanks for joining Enrique. Hello, Ms. Miyuki. Hi, JJ. Great interview. Greetings from Denver. Thanks so much for joining. Wonderful to have you here. Um, so another article that I, I saw you were talking about Gifu, and Gifu is where you are right now, right? Yes. Um, in the JNTO article, which I, I was interviewed as well last year, and it was so nice to see your insights there. And Miyuki, one of the things that really stood out to me in this article, you were talking about it's a real shame that people don't usually get to uncover the secrets of Japanese culture and traditions because it's often in a very closed community of practitioners, artisans, and industry specialists. 
And so as a guide, this is one of the things that you're trying to do with your podcasts or with your guiding or with your new course that we'll talk about later, um, is to try to, like you said, be that bridge between things that usually aren't open to the public, are just passed down in closed groups uh, between artisans and craftspeople. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit more? Sure, sure, um, definitely. And that's actually um, related to the, 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 the values of the local guys as well. And that's actually the reason why I love um, so much about connecting with the local guys, uh, even in Japan and when I visit different parts of Japan. Um, because I am a licensed guide and I learned history, geography, cultural traditions and everything related to Japan as part of my journey to become a licensed guide. But it doesn't mean I know the small details of the, each local places or the local like regional, um, each different regions of Japan. So uh, when I connect with the locals or the insiders of the community, uh, what you will find is to get the like the stories or the facts uh, that are only accessible like when you visit these places or the local people's recommendations on foods and the places to visit and how to better appreciate places. What what from the what angle you will um, better see these um, the buildings or like what. Like, like I, I, I mentioned in these articles, like what's the philosophical or spiritual meanings um, these like object or the buildings would signify? Um, like if you ask these questions um, to local peoples or the specialists who really know the subject field, like you will get answers or like usually like such in-depth meanings or the like hidden secret that you'd ever you'd never think about and that's the beauty of visiting places in japan and finding out um these is these like great um stories um behind what you will see and experience in japan yeah absolutely uh let's talk a little bit about being a certified guide because i i know this is so hard to do and uh back in the day so just a few years ago it changed so you don't have to be a certified guide to guide international travelers now um, but a lot of people do go through this really hard course uh, you said you you studied for a year before doing it uh, what was the hardest part about doing that that test to become a certified guide what was the most difficult section <laughs> Um, so basically, this license guide exam uh, has a two parts. For the first round of the exam, there are the five subject fields. So you have to study history, geography, travel regulations and laws, and what's called general knowledge, which covers anything related to Japan. And once you pass the, these um exams for the five subject fields, you will be then invited to the next round of um, the, the exams, which is uh, um, in-person interview. And the hardest part uh, for most people is um, 
the either it depends on the year, but either the history or the geography, depending on the year, because these questions are really, really, um, it, it's not really the general knowledge. <laughs> It's really the small details that uh, people really like. Yeah, it's it's not even in the like textbooks. <laughs> it's really the small details they tend to ask, and you just need to know a lot of things. There's like have an extensive knowledge about Japan in general to to go through this exam process. Yes. I've I've met uh, many certified guides over the years, and I'm always surprised. You know, many of them have never traveled, and so mm. I think your experience as a traveler outside of Japan, as well as within Japan, as well as having the certification, that's that's a great combination because <laughs> I I do guide training, and sometimes when I have certified guides who are in my course the biggest problem for them is communication and mm. uh, to communicate clearly mm. and to listen, mm. right? I mean, your, your name of your company is Japan Experts. And this is a problem that many visitors have with Japan official guides is they act like experts all the time. So mm. they can't connect to the visitor on an interpersonal, more uh, friendly way. It's, and I see this when I visit uh, famous places around Japan, right? You see the guide with the flag, and when they talk, they're only talking one direction, right? <laughs> but what visitors, international visitors really want, especially ones from Europe and America and Australia, they want a two-way conversation, mm. right? And so I would love to see uh, this official tour guide certification include more of listening practice and mm. you know thinking about sustainable tourism and how to engage but i think for you miyuki because you had so much travel experience that helps you connect a bit easier maybe to the yes. traveler yes and if i could add uh, my podcast is called japan experts but it doesn't I, I don't I named my podcast Japan Expert because I wanted to show a show a way to help my listeners to become an expert of Japan. I'm not saying that I know the other people who I interview are the experts. I just wanted to like help um expand the 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 number of the people who are passionate about Japan and who are more eager to take the path to learn more about Japan. And that's the concept of my podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And that's very clear once you see your information. And I love that you are curious. You are always learning. This is so important for sustainability as well as travel, right? To continue searching and learning along the way mm -hmm. and adding stories from mm -hmm. other people, other experts as you go. And mm -hmm. I think that that makes you a great podcaster, but also a great guide as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> of course. Uh, one, one interesting thing that you're really um, concentrating on, which I haven't seen other guides or podcasters talk about, is the introverted traveler. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Yes, thank you. Thank you for asking that. So I've actually recently created an episode on uh, introverted travelers, actually five reasons introverted travelers love visiting Japan. And the reason why is that um, because I'm a, I'm a big introvert, actually, and there are a lot of characteristics about being an introvert. Um, and some of the things um, that are often said, for example, are uh, introverted people are more comfortable spending time on their own and actually need some time to re-energize themselves um, during their own time. Or the, there are the social introverts too, but generally speaking, introverted people are more comfortable with having a one-on-one -on -one conversation rather than a big group discussion. Or they are good at observing what's around them, so think a lot before speaking and uh, tend to ask a deep questions. And I feel that Japan is a perfect place for the introverted travelers. Um, because of these characteristics and because, for example, in Japan, there are the restaurants and accommodations that are suitable for the like one person eating all the around time. And Japan has a rich culture. So as I mentioned, almost everything you see and experience in Japan, if you ask deep questions, you'll find some spiritual and philosophical meanings or the historical and cultural context that are not obvious, so which would give them an enlightening experience. And people like me um, tend to be more sensitive to what's around them. So so may feel a little bit overwhelmed with like busy places, but Japan is not only about big cities, but also it offers a countryside, beautiful rural areas, which give the introvert a great choice to appreciate the natural landscapes that gives a sense, sense of calmness and inspiration. And because I'm the introvert and I'm the only person who's behind my brand at the moment, and I, I, like it's not realistic for me to serve like different groups of people with a different needs. And I may expand my client base um, in the future, but I feel I can best serve the, the people with a similar needs and interest. And so like the travelers, like who are more the introverted and I just feel like, and also the small group, like two people or the solo travelers. And I just uh, felt that like these people tend to have uh, the more, a bit of the introverted mindset like myself. And I just feel like these people would find the, my guidance and support more relevant and more valuable like than the other group of people. And that's why I wanted to mention, like highlight this point. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And there's so many things that you talk about for the introverted traveler, which we are trying to promote for sustainable travel in Japan. Wow. Okay. Right? Like be more and humble when you mm. ex when you go somewhere. Uh, look around, avoid crowds, mm. uh, enjoy staying slow travel, right? Mm. Uh, meeting local people one-to-one -one or in mm. small groups. Uh, getting away from mass travel mm -hmm. where the emphasis is only on the numbers. Success mm -hmm. of tourism is only about the numbers of people. Mm -hmm. Get away from that. That is not sustainable tourism. That's not going to last. Mm -hmm. But really focus on the experiences like you talked about. Uh, engaging, observing, mm -hmm. enjoying the quiet, right? Mm -hmm. Hiring a local guide. These are all very connected 
to sustainable mm. tourism as well. So I, I love your focus on the introverted traveler. And I think uh, your training course as well, which you're starting next year, is really focused on the introverted traveler too, right? Yes, yes, exactly, yes. Do you want to introduce that course to us? Sure, sure. Sure, sure, definitely. So um, beside the Japan Expats podcast, I have a 30 day travel planning course on Japan travel essentials. Um, so through this um, program, I so I wanted to like I aim to give the detailed guidance on planning and maximizing the travel experiences that will make it easier for travelers to determine when and where to visit how to get around and where to stay, depending on their needs and interests. So by the end of the program, people will have their unique Japan travel itinerary ready, and also they can be more prepared to gaining deeper experiences and making the most, most out of their trip when they are in Japan. So this is uh, the overall concept of my program. So hopefully um, with all this, um, people should get a good understanding of Japan so that get, they know the overall picture of Japan and what to ex expect so that they can choose the right place or the right choice for them and prepare for them, their trip better and appreciate sights and landscapes on a deeper level. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, so this is from your website. If people are interested, they can uh, get your free travel guide. They can also uh, sign up for your newsletter and then hopefully find out more if they're interested in the course. Is that starting next year, Miyuki? Yes, actually, it's starting next month. Um, oh, wow. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> well, next month is next year. It's hard to remember, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Correct. Correct. So you're yeah, correct. Next year, next month. All right. Fantastic. Oh, we have some people joining uh, from LinkedIn as well. Great to see you, Mitsuhiro Tora and Remy Lopez. Wonderful to see you. Remy says, quite an interesting interview. Very true things being said as a manager of a company focused on guided experiences in Kansai, dealing essentially with sustainable tourism development and local community interaction. I totally understand what you're saying. Keep up the good work, Miyuki. Thanks for the interview, Joy. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks thank for joining. So uh, going back a little bit to some of the topics that you introduce on your podcast, like a deeper view on Japanese culture. Uh, you talked with local experts on ikebana and swords uh, tell us, can you describe the topics in the picture? Uh, sure, sure. Um, so this picture on the left is an Ikebana flower arrangement. And the picture in the middle, the next one, is um, from the the Japanese um, traditional puppet theater um, called Ningyo Jewelry. And the next one describes actually the Satoyama landscapes, so the countryside landscapes in Japan. And the final picture here is a uh, Yabusame uh, mounted archery, um, the Japanese mounted archery. And these, so this uh, this image is uh, from the the area episodes I produced for the Japan Expats podcast. Um, so I interviewed um, more than 
um, 20 um, different experts uh, specialized in the different aspects of Japanese culture, such as Ikebane, Ningyo Jolly, um, the Satoyama, and the uh, Yabusame. And yeah, they shared their passion and love and uh, what they do for their um, dedicated field. Yes. Yeah. So for Ikebana, you can find Ikebana all over Japan. Um, but where can you find this uh, doll theater? Sorry, doll theater. Uh, the next picture. So with the dolls. Uh, the, and it's uh, oh, okay, okay. So this is uh, Ningyo Jolly. So Ningyo Jolly, um, if you want to, um, so, so basically, so this traditional um, performers are spread around Japan, so mostly in the mainland Honshu Island. But um, one place which is really popular um, for the Ningyo jewelry is actually Tokushima. And there are, uh, I think, more than a, a, a dozen like Ningyo jewelry theaters in Tokushima. And there are lots of the, the performers um, based in there. Yeah, I will. I will look for it. I've been to Tokushima many times, but I've never seen. <laughs> I've never seen that. But every time I visit, even places in Hiroshima, I've lived here for over twenty-seven years. Uh, even places where I live, I'm always uh, introduced to new things and uh, asking questions to locals and uh, deep diving into local culture. There's always more to learn. <laughs> yes, yes, and that's the beauty of Japan. Uh, like diversity is one of the biggest characteristics of Japan, and that's what the Japan has to offer. And as you mentioned, like every time, like I visit many different places, I get to discover the new things. And yeah, that that's really pleasure to ha have this kind of experience. Oh, for sure. I, I think as uh, good guides, we have to keep our love of traveling and our love of learning, right? If we yeah. can keep that, then we will love our jobs and we can continue forever. So yeah. that's very sustainable, right? Yes. <laughs> uh, one other thing. So the Satoyama is also a concept you can find all over Japan. And I yes. loved hearing uh, your talk with Kevin Short, is it? And he was talking yes. about the value, the value of the water source mm -hmm. and the water mm -hmm. source and praying to the water source. And this is something I find in all areas of Japan mm -hmm. as well. I just visited uh, the port town of Mitarai. Mitarai mm. is named after the water source, right? Mm. And the local well is a very important shrine where mm. people go and pray. So you do see these common themes all around Japan. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, but the horse archery, I think that's very region specific. Where can people see that? Uh, actually, they are part of the Shinto religious activities. So at the major shrines, for example, it's, it, it's not like these, um, like traditional events, they don't like take place on a regular basis. So what, what happens usually is, uh, like every year at certain time of the, um, the, at certain times of the year or at certain event, they, they hold these um, traditional events to basically to pay respect to deities. So, uh, for example, at the Kamakura um, 
で鶴岡シュライン or the the in Kyoto for example the Shimogamo shrine and these are, and also the Nikko and the there is a um the mounted archery and the Shinto uh, events as well. So you need to visit at certain time of the year to participate and to watch these performances. But these are incredible. Yeah, I would love to see. I've never seen that in all my years in Japan. I would love to see that. Um, but that brings up another point of difficulty, I think, for seeing or actually being able to see a lot of these specific cultural things, right? We see them on all the posters, but they are only certain times of year mm. or are only once a season or something, mm. right? Like we, we have the same difficulty all over Japan. Mm. Um, even in Hiroshima, we're famous for Kagura performances. Mm. But un unless you can have a regular once a week performance, it's very hard for tourists to actually have a chance to see that, right? Mm, mm. Um, and I, when I visited Hawaii, I grew up in Hawaii, and I just uh, visited this summer, I was so impressed by how they have free hula performances mm. in the main tourist area three times a week. Mm. And I thought, we need to do this more in Japan. We mm. need to have more easy access mm. to local performances. And I think the local people would also love it, right? Mm. So yeah, I would I would love to see that more. Um, but yeah, I love that you introduce it. It's, it's fantastic to talk about. Uh, let's talk more about the Gifu insights that you gave. So in, in the JNTO article, uh, you were talking about the big Buddha in Gifu. Mm -hmm. Can you tell mm -hmm. us about it? Sure. So this is um, called the Gifu Daibutsu, so the Gifu Great Buddha, uh, which is, uh, as you can see, the colored in the gold leaf. And it is, so people have a slightly different view, but uh, this is one of the three biggest great Buddha uh, in Japan. So uh, along with uh, Kamakura's um, Daibutsu, as well as uh, Nara's Great Buddha. So, so this is situated in the, in the Gifu city. Um, it's not well known as, as known as, as a Jiaza 2 Daibutsu, the Jiaza 2 Great Buddha. But if people would have a chance to visit Gifu, that's definitely one thing they, they could, um, visit. Yeah, I hadn't heard about this before. I would love to visit. I I love seeing the statues of the Buddhas and the canons in mm. the temples. And that's something visitors are always interested in. Mm. Uh, with the gesture, mm. can you tell us what does the gesture mean? I, I often have questions about the different gestures that the statues are doing. Yes, yes, I actually, I learned this. When I uh, recently visited Nara and my local guide explained all these things, I need to, um, I need to like keep up my knowledge. <laughs> but but I think, yeah, different positions, right? Or different gestures. <laughs> yes, 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 like, I, I think, I don't know, like, which one is, like, for which, because, like, for the right hand, the left hand, they do the different gestures, and they do have a different meanings for that. But, like, I'm, like, Buddha is with you, or the Buddha is, like, supporting you or something, I think, for either of the gesture, and I need to see my notes. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot. This is something visitors always ask me. Um, yes. but I I always find it so interesting to relate Buddhism to Chinese Buddhism and Indian Buddhism because in statues like this, you can see the connections, right? Mm. Uh, you can see, for example, the the mark in the middle, and you often see that in India, right? That you have the mark, and yes. then in in China, there might be similarities from there because, as you mentioned in your your podcast about Japanese history, which is such a challenging topic, I love that you challenge that. Um, but you were talking about how Buddhism was brought uh, from India through China to Japan, right? And some of the the unique points of Buddhism in Japan. And uh, I've had some crazy hard questions over the years from visitors, like explain the samurai, why did samurais be created in Japan or something like that, right? So it's it's important as guides to be able to simplify very difficult history or very difficult culture, right? Um, I thought you did a great job. Good job. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but these are the exactly the sort of questions that I'd love people to ask when they visit Japan. But because because these gestures, it's like you really like bring up a really great point because these gestures means something and there is a meaning behind it. And this, like knowing this would interest you and would be much more enlightening experience. So yeah, these are definitely a great point. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I had the chance to spend some time at a temple with, with Alex Kerr. And I was saying, how, how do you explain that, you know, to, to one of the statues or something? And he said, well, over time, there's different stories. So what stories have you heard? That's probably true. Like mm -hmm. all you just keep asking, keep asking the local monks, because often that temple will have its own version. And who's to say that version is not correct, right? So I love this idea of just keep asking. And for this temple, uh, this monk said, right? And then the visitors love that uniqueness as well. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's that's definitely the regionality point of view. And that's very important because when I visited Nara, for example, very recently, I, I was actually um, very um, surprised or the impressed about the, the Buddhist temples they have because the Buddhist temple in Nara are different from the temples uh, in other regions because um, these are the temples that were originally built in like more than a thousand years ago. And these are the temples that are heavily influenced by, as you mentioned, the 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 culture from China, the culture from India, and you like you will get to see these differences and the history of Japan like by visiting different regions of Japan, and that's the 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 beauty of um, the trip in Japan, and that's what I highly encourage people to do, like traveling around the different regions of Japan and to see the differences. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, you can go back again and again to even the same places and you can still learn more, right? Yes. Um, and yeah. also like 
visiting a different time of the year, visiting in a different season would create a different experience. And that's why the, the variety things, like the beauty of the variety that Japan can offer is a huge um, in terms of creating uh, all sorts of differences for the all sorts of different people. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And uh, now you you mentioned a lot of natural sights, natural beauty in the JNTO article uh, interview. Uh, you were talking about the Amano Hashidate. Can you tell us about that? That's beautiful. Of course, we're in Hiroshima. We have Miyajima, so one of the top three uh, Nihon Sanke most uh, natural, <laughs> yeah. famous views, right? Yes, um, definitely. Yeah, tell us about it. Definitely. So the Amano Hashidate is uh, located in the the northern part of Kyoto um, by the Sea of Japan. And actually, I support the local government there to help um, promote their destination. And uh, the Miyazu city is where the Amano Hashidate is located. And uh, Amano Hashidate is one of the, the Japan's three scenic views, as you mentioned. And uh, it is actually the sandbar and it's naturally created, and but people can walk on it and people can even cycle on it. And <laughs> but the usually the, the, the cars and the, is not allowed to enter. So it's a totally the natural landscapes and you can see the, the beautiful, like the water because uh, water the inner water the inner sea is so calm and peaceful because of the the sandbar which was created naturally and yeah it's a it's although it's part of kyoto it's a kyoto kyoto by the sea region it's totally different um scenic views i totally recommend people to visit there yes ah, i've never been it looks beautiful yes uh, so that that japanese word is too long for people to remember. So I think if we if we probably simplify as the Kyoto sandbar mm -hmm. uh, might be easier to see. Uh, before I ever researched going to a new place, I always look on Google Images. Mm. And there's something really interesting happening as people are looking at this view. Do you see what's happening in the picture? They're looking through their legs. <laughs> Right. So I, I always love to tell these stories. Like for for a guy to search Google Images, you'll find some interesting, like modern sightseeing culture as well. Right, looking through your legs. I would have never thought that to do that. Yes, actually, this is one of the the popular one of the popular activities at this site. Uh, what happens is that um, this Amano Hashidate, the sandbar. Uh, looks like the dragon um, going up to the heaven. And uh, actually, there's uh, two like mountains or the hills at the different end of the, the sandbar. And from both of the, both from you can climb up to the top of the both mountains and you can do this gesture. <laughs> you can see the, the sandbar. Um, and then like you can see the like dragon going up to the heaven and going down to the 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 our world and yeah that's one of the 
entertaining um, things oh, in this place. That is fascinating. See, I would never know that without going with a local guide or having expert advice, insider advice. That is so funny. So it's not just like looking upside down. It's actually representing a dragon linking yes. our world to the heavens. I love that. Yes. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another thing you uh, talked about is the Gifu Castle. Now, we talk about castles a lot around Japan, right? Castles are really popular to visit. Um, but quite often when people visit one castle, they think, well, that's it. I, I don't need to see any other Japanese castles. Um, but they're actually, all of them are unique and they have really interesting backstories. Uh, Hiroshima's castle is one of the smaller ones, but it's on a low land. Uh, when he created it, uh, Morisan, he put six moats around it, right? There's lots of interesting things like uh, survivor trees right next to the castle in the Hiroshima one. Uh, tell us a little bit about Gifu Castle. Yes, so the Gifu Castle is uh, actually a reconstruction one. So um, it's located in the Gifu, and the Gifu is uh, um, the home of the Oda Nobunaga, uh, who is the most uh, famous castle, like who is one of the most famous samurai warriors from the warring state period. And the Chubu or the central Japan is actually the birthplace of Japan's three most famous samurai warriors um, from the warring state period. So and there are lots of um, castles in this region. And if you love castles or, or if you love the samurai history, I'd always think that Chubu or the central region or the my region, <laughs> the southern part of the the Chubu, is not a bad choice for you. And knowing these regional characteristics definitely help to find your own interests and find your own like needs for your trip. And if I can talk a little bit about the castles in the <laughs> Chubu region, um, it has actually not a gift castle, but it has two of the five castles that are registered as a national treasure with their castle keep um, being intact for at least 400 years. And another national treasure castle, the Hikone, located by the Lake Biwa, is also accessible for, from the Chubu region. So these castles, as you mentioned, are looking like stunning um, uh, like when, when you see it like up close. But not only that, uh, because um, Japan is an earthquake hit country, but they will stand for at least like 400 years. That is amazing. Um, but knowing like history and the background of the times that the castles were built make it an even more amazing experience. And I'd love to like, I'd love to like offer um, the castle, like samurai castle and history tours. And in these tours, I'd like to include the, some of the backstories and like of the times, like who samurai were really are and what kind of like the times, like what really were they, like when they had lived and the hierarchy and the social system that they existed during that time. And these, all these things are actually connected to the Japanese society. And these stories are really worth telling. And like, even if like, 
people are not really interested in the castle themselves, like knowing these histories really attract lots of more people. And I just wanted to um, see more people realize the value and visiting these places. Yes, absolutely. There's, there's so much beautiful architecture at a lot of the castles, even recreated ones. Mm. And uh, we find this even at newer temples. Uh, I, I always talk about the tiles, the temple tiles, right? Because mm. quite often under old Japanese buildings or near old temples, you'll find the old tiles all stacked underneath and they put new tiles on the roof and trying to reuse the old tiles, like in the garden hedging or something, right? So it's it's wonderful to talk about the tiles because you have so much history and culture there, but if they're making new ones, you're also keeping those craftspeople in work now and keeping that heritage alive. So both is important. We should reuse the old ones, not throw it away, but we should keep making new ones, right? So I, I find that really interesting part about castles or traditional buildings in Japan, for sure. Definitely. Uh, one, yeah, one other interesting thing you were talking about is uh, things, activities to look at at night. And I think uh, in Gifu, talking about the ukai, the cormorant fishing at night, and then the light up of the traditional town at night. And we have illuminations uh, events in winter in Hiroshima. And I know some small towns are doing illumination at night. And I love this idea for extending the time that people can visit, especially if it's a very popular place. Uh, I was so happy in Kyoto to see that Kiyomizu Dera opens at six. Yes, right? So when I went at six, I met a lot of local people who enjoy going there and mm. enjoying the park. So then by extending the time, you can get people to enjoy it without the crowds, mm. right? And then people who don't mind the crowds, they go at the busy time, that's fine. Um, but us, introverts and people who are seeking sustainable travel, we can go at the less busy times and have the more magic experience because we care about that, right? Mm, mm, definitely, definitely. So this light up uh, in Gifu looked really pretty and you were talking about washi paper as well. Yes, yes. Um, so the ukai fishing, for example, um, this is a really... Um, popular activity for Gifu and I actually had a pleasure to visit uh, one of the master fishermen um, very recently and ukai fishing um, takes place from May through October so it's it's more of the summertime activity but the ukai master fishermen like they live with uh, the bird um, like every day, like they they have the bird as part of their the like like their land, like the next to their house. <laughs> there is a small house for the for this bird. And uh, what I I knew that before visiting this master fisherman, but what I really like confirmed my thought about the ukai fishing is that they are done in a, such a sustainable way, and they. Some people may think that um, they are kind of like using their bird for their fishing. So might not might not have a good image over that, but like they are like down in a such a sustainable way. These like the string attached to their like 
like bird are not really like harming their bird at all. And they get to have a fish um, while they are doing the fishing as well. Um, so it doesn't mean, um, and it, it's been like continuing uh, for, I think for trees like like uh, like the longest time of the of the year, like among there are like twelve ukai fishing places in Japan, but the this like Nagaragawa River, Nagaragawa Ukai is is actually like uh, they supported by the Imperial Court Agency, and like these Ayu sweet fish are actually like brought to the um, imperial family as well um, because of this um, system. And that's how the, these traditional traditional um, the things was able to continue over the, such a long time of the history. And this is also one of the, yeah, because this, this could happen because the water, again, the river water like is really, really like clean and beautiful. That's why like this um, fishing was able to um, do as well. So yes, um, this is really like um, great resources that the Gifu has along with uh, a paper lantern, the paper itself. And that's also the, the product of the beautiful water resources of the Nagaragawa River. And these Mino washi paper that are produced in the Mino city that's up to the north of the Nagaragawa River and the lantern is um, produced in the much like southern part of the Nagaragawa River, so. Yeah, no, that's wonderful to hear about. I didn't know those those uh, features. Uh, you mentioned about animal welfare, and I think this is something that we don't talk about enough in Japan travel um, uh, about how the the cormorants are taken care of, almost mm. as pets. Uh, they're treated nice and ethically, and I think for international visitors, this is something they're interested in, and mm. they want to know how are the animals treated. Uh, this also extends to organic food. Uh, we want to encourage more farmers to grow organic vegetables because we know that visitors are very concerned about this, right? We don't have very clear labels in Japan about how animals are treated or how food is produced uh, in similar fashion to what we see in other countries. So I think this is another way where international tourism can really help develop more sustainable practices in Japan. Mm. Um, so this is so nice to hear and to, to learn about. Thank you so much for sharing. Sure, of course, of course. Uh, we have just a few more minutes. Is there something we haven't talked about that you want to talk about today? We talked about a lot. How about, <laughs> how about introducing, just introduce how people can find out about your podcast and your courses. Give us a yes. little introduction at the end. Yes, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, so the I have a podcast called Japan Experts and that's available on podcast racing platforms and my Instagram is also at japan.experts, so people can reach out to me and ask me about Japan or travel planning in general. And my website is um, basically my name, um, miyukiseguchi.com. 
M-I-Y-U-K-I-S-E-G-U-C-H-I.com. So that's where I put out um, like everything I do. So that's a good place to find out. And yes. Yeah, wonderful. I just shared uh, your website in the chat here. Uh, Kyle from YouTube, thanks for joining. Kyle says, wonderful discussion. I love the idea of cormorants as pets. Yeah, <laughs> well taken care of. Uh, Kiwi Yamabushi, who you've also interviewed on your show. Wonderful Hello. to have you here, Tim. On YouTube, he says, thanks for this great conversation by two amazing people. Oh, thank you, Tim. Too nice. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Miyuki. And I hope that we can collaborate again because I think we are very like-minded in how we think about uh, quality, higher quality travel, which helps the local people as well as is more appealing for the international visitor. So thanks for everything you do. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great pleasure to speak to you. And yes, thank you. Yeah, let's, let's do the another collaboration soon. Yes, let's do it. I would love that. We've got so much more wonderful travel insights to share. I feel like we've just scratched the surface with yes. what you know and what you could share. So I, I'd love to do it again. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yes, thank you so much for your opportunity. Yeah, thanks everyone for joining and uh, see you again next time. Have a great day. Take care. As this is the last podcast of 2022, I just wanted to add a special thank you to all of you for tuning in this time and throughout 2022, making this a lot more of a supportive and special year for me, thanks to you. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and I look forward to connecting with you and sharing new stories again in 2023. Take care, everyone. See you next year.